Timothy chapter 3. And look in verses 14 and 15. Let's read those together aloud, please. Let's begin in 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And uh, it's interesting, the church there is, is, de- is described as two different things. It's described as the pillar and the ground of the truth. The pillar is the support of the truth. And the ground is the place of the truth, a place for truth to thrive. So if you can imagine, it's a pillar, it supports the ground of the truth. It certainly isn't the origin of the truth, but it's the place for truth, and it's the support for truth. That's what a church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place for truth, and it's supposed to be supportive truth, and uh, that's that's how it's described in the Bible. But tonight, I want to I want to give you a be an interesting, uh, I think, encouraging uh, Bible study tonight. I want to speak to you on the subject of an honest look at the first century church. An honest look at the first century church. I I, I know that for some people and in some groups, especially, it's been glamorized. They say we want to get back to being first century Christians, and I understand what they mean by that. Uh, they want uh, reliance upon the Spirit of God and a freshness in the ministry. And, and uh, you know, they see the church starting uh, with, I believe, when Jesus called this 12 out to follow Him closely and then went from there. And uh, Jesus baptized those first 12, the Bible says, and then taught them to baptize others. And more people were received in the church. And uh, after Christ's crucifixion, you find 120 people gathered together, and that's that assembly. Then a few days later, 3,000 people were added to him in one day. You talk about a church growth program. And um, my goodness, the Lord took care of that. And uh, all through there, and we see, we see the things that happen. We see multitudes being saved. We see all the things going on. And sometimes people glamorize it and they say, boy, you know, I wish we were like first century Christians. They all just got along and they read the verses, which are correct verses, where they were with one accord in one place. And they get that right. They read verses about them, you know, the unity of the Spirit and that sort of thing. But they also miss other things that are in there that are reality. And uh, somehow it gives people a distorted idea that somehow there can be a Christianity that's devoid of the humanity that comes when you congregate people together. And then so much more when you're reaching people from every kind of background that there is. Um, a couple of days ago here in town, I was uh, I hugged somebody's neck, a fellow in town that I've, uh, he's, he says I've been a blessing to him and, and had the opportunity to give the gospel to him some years ago. According to his testimony, he's, he's been a pastor here in town for years now. And he, he said that uh, he's told me on more than one occasion, he says that night on the basketball court when I talked to him, he says he went and God touched his heart and he got his heart right with the Lord the next week. And then he's been serving the Lord ever since. And I ran to him in town. He hugged Hugged my neck, and uh, he, uh, uh, you saw him, you'd see me hugging, you'd say, wow, that's a lot different than what a preacher is. I mean, on appearance, people had to be looking saying, well, there's a contrast in folks. But this, this fellow, I love him. I think he has a love for the Lord. Every time I see him, he has somebody with him that he's trying to teach the Bible to. And uh, so, you know, I don't, I, I don't have to uh, grieve with somebody or yoke up with what all they're doing in order to appreciate the fact somebody else is trying to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so, uh, with that said, I think sometimes we, we don't realize uh, sometimes how much humanity uh, there's always been. The only power any church of any age has really ever had is the power of God. 
Sometimes church have good organization. Certainly nothing wrong with that. Sometimes church have had good program. Nothing wrong with that. As long as it doesn't become what we depend on. And uh, the only thing that's ever made any lasting difference in people's lives, and the only thing that ever converts a soul is the power of God. And uh, so tonight we're going to take an honest look at first century Christians, and we're going to be instructed by it so we have, a, we have an idea of how God can use us. I mean, here at Lighthouse Baptist. However many, how many, however many of us there may be, uh, we, don't need, we don't need certain size to have influence. We, we just need to follow God and find out what He can do. And so that's, that's what tonight's about. Let me pray with you when we get started. Father, thank you so much. I appreciate your people. Help me to help them tonight from your word. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please, if you would. I have this thing broken down into three different parts. I have the follies, the favor, and the fruit of this early church and the early first century Christians. And of course, we're talking about those who lived. Uh, some of them were alive when Christ was on the earth and then immediately following as best as we can tell by timeline and history and such, the last of the uh, canonical books, in other words, the books that are actually part of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation, was probably penned around 90 A.D. And A.D. Uh, means Anno Domini, or Anno Domino, Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. It doesn't mean after death. <laughs> Some people think it does. And... Uh, it was about in the 90s and there. It's about the time that that was, as near as we can tell, and early 90s. And uh, so when we're talking about the first century church, we're talking about those who were alive and either influenced directly by Jesus himself or those who were influenced directly by Jesus and, uh, and uh, that, that outreach there with them. But like I said, these were people. If you read about these churches, okay, you're, if you're reading in the book of Acts and you read about the churches and, and they, churches are established in Philippi and then uh, Ephesus and then Galatia and Thessalonica and all these different things that talks about the churches of this area and the churches of that area, you understand these are congregations of people just like you are. Um, in fact, those churches uh, to a church, all of those are mainly Gentile churches. There is a Jewish influence, and when Paul would first go to a city, he would, he would seek out the, the synagogues, and especially early on, he would seek out the synagogues and teach and reason with them there and then reach the general population. Um, but mainly, those were Gentile cities. And the people who started coming, got saved, started coming into the churches were Gentiles. They were not Jewish people. They, they were not raised on the Old Testament. See, those early, those early people being saved, the early uh, Jewish converts, they were raised on that Old Testament. So they had the oracles of God, which is we're referring to this in that case. And they had the Word of God, so what they were getting was a continuation of what they already knew. The Gentiles are coming in, and most of them were idol worshipers, polytheists, which means they had many gods, and much of their worship was just flat-out filthy sensualism. Bad. I won't go into details of things, but Ashtaroth and some of these things were very much, very filthy, very perverted uh, ways of doing things and, and basically um, just really wild situations they came out of. Uh, some wild-looking people coming in. I was, <laughs> I saw one and it wasn't a fellow I could even get to. I just saw somebody in town and I got a little chuckle out of it and I thought, Man, I don't know who that is, and I was driving and you know, couldn't get to this person. But I'm like, 
I just saw them for a moment. And I thought, man, if I ever got to talk to them, got to lead them to Christ, I thought, now that one would freak some people out if I brought that, that one in the church. I mean, seriously. You know? What you going to do when something looks like a purple porcupine sits down beside you? Yeah, praise God. You better believe it, but I'm going to guarantee you there's going to be some, some people going, huh? What, what we got here? And, uh, you know, wild just coming out of this. Well, that's what a lot of what they were dealing with. And these people are coming in, and it went down to more than just an appearance or something, you know? Things had to be taught. They'd been, they had to be taught all the way down to the basic things, which every generation has had to, that men and women aren't supposed to look the same. The man's hair, hair is supposed to be different than a woman's hair. And the long hair is for the woman and give them to her for a covering. The, the man's not supposed to have long hair. And I know what you think the pictures of Jesus look like, but please also take note that he's a six foot one white guy in those pictures and has a strange glowing countenance like he's been exposed to radiation. So do not depend on those pictures for accurate description of what your Lord looked like when he was on this earth. So the... All these things had to be taught. They had to be taught that they would. Do, you do do this. You don't do that. Uh, you ever wonder why the Lord put so much in those uh, in those epistles and, and and the letters He sent to these churches through the apostles? Why He put so much in there warning about fornication, sins of the flesh? It's because it was it was a an accepted thing in their culture, and it was a given thing. They they to them it was like oh that's just what people do. Well, America's there now, unfortunately. We've become every bit as heathen in a culture as any, any of these ever were. And, uh, and so, and amazing, the truths are still needed, aren't they? Because the flesh is still the same flesh. And the world's still the same world. And so the devil's still the same devil. So we still need the same truths. We need the same teaching. But I want us to honestly look at some of these first century Christians. I want to talk to you about the follies. In other words, some of the things that happened, if you really think about what was going on, it's pretty amazing. We get excited, and I think we ought to, and we say it's victory, and it is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Isn't that a great thing? I, I tell you what, I'd like to be somewhere where the Spirit of God came down so strong that 3,000 people got saved and baptized in one day. I'd love that. It seems to be an epidemic tonight. There we go. All right, there, your pizza's done too. The, uh, <laughs> John's happy about that. <laughs> John says, good, good woman, she ordered pizza. Um, <laughs> By the way, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm broadcasting from an insane asylum tonight. It's called Lighthouse Baptist Church. But they, but they you know, 3,000 people and you go, man, that is amazing. Absolutely amazing. But it was not very long at all after that till there were some problems. And I'm not talking problems from the outside which came also, but problems from the inside. And in Acts chapter 6, I'm going to be turning you to several passages later. Right now I'm just talking about some things that are a little more familiar. In Acts chapter 6, there's a fuss in the church. Squabbling. They're, they're, they're upset. One group's aggravated at the other. And you say, what is it? Well, you have Hebrews, people who are Jewish people who got saved and they're in the church. And then you have the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And I've explained to you before some of the conflicts that would cause. I mean, there's some big time... Long time talk differences there. But what's happening is, part of what the church was doing, there were widows that would be classified with what the Bible calls as widows indeed. If there's a widow, there's a lady who no longer has a husband to take care of her, doesn't have a means of support, 
her, if she has sons, they are supposed to take care of her. If she has nephews, they are supposed to take care of her. If she doesn't have any relatives to do, then the church is supposed to take care of her. And we're not talking about just doing something for her and helping them out. We're talking about their support. Actually taking care of them and making sure they can live. Not just doing a good deed for them or something like that. And so it, these widows, they had a way that they were feeding widows. And you have to understand, you didn't have any subsidy program or something going like this. Um, but these widows were being cared for. And what they found out was one group's being neglected and the other one's being cared for. And so favoritism, that's always a problem in a church if people feel like there's favoritism and you know people watch sometimes, well, this one was allowed to and I wasn't, blah, blah, blah. And some people are very, uh, very uh, sensitive towards those things, overly sensitive towards those things at times. And, uh, and, and, and uh, some people, you know, that, that means more to them than other people. And it's very easy with a group of people uh, to accidentally, you know, hurt somebody that way, to accidentally, you know, offend somebody that way, even when you're not trying to, and and sometimes legitimately, sometimes legitimately give a reason for somebody, you know, to say, hey, you know, what's going on here? And it's very easy to do with a group of people because it's very hard to take into consideration everything that's happening at once. I can't imagine trying to do that with over three thousand people. Can you imagine? It's interesting enough to find out, you know, with the group size we have, and. Uh, and to consider all the things and the ramifications of what's going on, man, you have over 3,000 people together. That's a lot of folks to keep track of. And so the disciples, are, they're running things. The apostles are there. They're running things. And, and, uh, and the, the church is going forward and they're all learning this together. And then they come and say, we got a problem on our hands. I said, what's that? I said, there's a fuss between the widows. And they're like, oh, that's not good. That's not a good place to have a fuss. Well, what's the difference? Well, some of them are being cared for. And others are getting their food first, and others are, oh man, you know. Here, Sister Sones over here was supposed to have, you know, breakfast, and so my promise of it, it didn't get there until supper time that night. Well, that's a problem if you're waiting for your supper, if you're waiting for your meal, you know. So there was probably legitimate need, and but what was it? He said, well, that isn't very spiritual. It's amazing how many of our situations are not necessarily spiritual. They're more with organization and trying to do things the right way. But I believe there's a spiritual aspect to that too, how we go about it and wanting to do things the right way. And so here they are. And so they had problems. So if you can imagine, these are all first century Christians. This is a church that's seen the power of God. This is a church that's seen that many people saved and baptized. And they're fussing over when meals are served. It's reality. You say, why would that be? Because they're people. And they want to eat. How fundamental is that? Talk about the fundamentals of the faith. Food's the fundamental of the faith. Evidence by two, you've ordered pizza during service tonight, amen? Uh, but uh, they, it, it's a fundamental. And so what happens is that the apostles call them together, and what I believe are the first deacons there. Deacons are servants towards the church that help the, those who are bishoping the church, overseeing it, to get the work done. And they make a statement. They said, it is not me. It's not fitting. It doesn't make sense. For us to leave the Word of God and serve tables. They weren't saying we're too good to serve. They weren't saying it's beneath us. They're saying, hey, our ministry is supposed to be in the Word to teach everybody. We've got 3,000 plus people to teach the Word of God and to try to get that out to them. And it takes time if you're going to do it right. You know, just slap something together and depend on your speaking skills. Well, I guess you can get by with just a little bit of time if you're actually going to feed people. 
day in and day out, week in and week out. It takes labor. In fact, the Bible talks about uh, they that labor in the Word and doctrine. It's downright work to stay at it and get at it and get something and, and keep at it. And they said, if we're serving all these tables and we're running the meals and all that, guess what? We're, we're not going to have time to do. Your tables are going to be full. You're going to have your drumstick to eat, but you're not going to get fed spiritually. What's going to happen? The whole thing's going to collapse in. And so they taught that there. So these were people with fusses over and going on. How about another one with this? And when I say follies like this one, I don't think anybody was trying to be wicked or anything in that situation. It was an administrative situation that needed care. That's all there is to it. How about this one? Name Ananias and Sapphira. That mean anything, y'all? Y'all know the account of Ananias and Sapphira? They dropped dead in church. How many of you knew that? I mean, let's see here. You knew they did that? That's all right. They did that. Um, Ananias means graciously given of God. And Sapphira, as you might guess from the name, means a sapphire. <laughs> How original is that? Uh, but she, uh, they, they were looking around and some people, it was never mandated that they do this, but the, the, some people had property and stuff and they sold what they had and gave everything from the proceeds of their sales to the work of God. Can you imagine how much need there was when, you, when that church just took off about like that? I just, I just heard about, it's funny, I heard about today a church running almost 400 after two years old. Yeah, that's fast growth. That is, yeah. And it seemed to be a gospel preaching church, so that's a good thing. Here, you ready for this? Their annual budget was only $80,000. Annual. For 400 people, that's ridiculous. You say, hi? No, oh, no, no, no. For, no, for, for, for 400 people, uh, you better be running close to a half million dollar budget. It's going to take that much just to operate. You say, seriously? Oh, seriously, yes. It's like people say, oh, we'll build an auditorium for 250 people. I hope you have almost a million to spend right at it. So it takes to put that much building around that many people nowadays. And so it's and nothing ostentatious, just where you can do it. So. You know what it was, though? You know what was at the root of this? And just a bunch of stingy people? Not so much. They, and this is part of what was exciting about that church, at least what I heard about, no detail. But, the, but it seemed to me these were a lot of new converts. So they're just getting in. They're just, they're just finding out. And they don't know anything yet. And they're, they're learning. So they don't know. They're babies. Does anybody know how much of our budget is supported by the nursery? If I want to guess how much junior church does to pay the, the electrical bill and everything on this building. Now, life builders, we start getting some. I mean, the junior church could get some, but do you want to guess how much? What's our utility bill running off the back? We're putting you on the spot. Pardon? AEP, right. A little over 500 just for the AEP part of it. Because I know all together it comes around 1100 above. Yeah. And uh, so... They say, we're being wasteful. No, this is bigger than your house with more people in it. Um, it's always funny. You get somebody, and the only budget they, and I'm not putting down, the budget they operate is their house. So they can't figure out why we spend hundreds of dollars uh, for like uh, bathroom tissues and stuff. That's because we have like bathrooms. And they're very popular places. Most people make sure, you know, they get visited. And so, um, but what happens is, he, you want to guess how much even our kiddos are given and they like giving? Do you want to know how, how many of those monthly bills they probably paid for this year? If I want to take a stab at how much insurance they paid for? 
about that $2,300 plus dollar mortgage. You think, how, take a guess on that, how much? Insurance on the buses. How many, how, do our bus riders pay for those buses? Are you getting the point? So what ends up happening here, Andice and Sapphira, they're involved in a young church and, and people are getting excited. And some of the people say, hey, we sold this land and we gave the whole thing. Well, that gets, people weren't doing it to show off, but, you know, word gets around. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, you know what they did? They decided they wanted to be known for that. But what they did, and there's something how wicked a couple can be together. These are church members and these are folks there. They're listening to the apostles. Are you getting this? You know, when, when, the, when you're listening to Peter and John and James all of them preach, you're probably under about the best preaching you're going to be under. So they're in a good church. We have it on good authority. This is a good church. And here they are, and they get together and they say, hey, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We'll go down to the church house and we'll tell them we're giving all the money. They sold a piece of property. And we'll tell them. Because you know why? They felt like it'd make them somebody in the congregation. Anytime you get a group of people together, now here's what's sad. It can be a group of 10 it could be a group of 12. You can have a church with 10 or 12 people in it, and there's somebody in that group wants to be the big shot. News, flash. You can't be a big shot in that small of a pot. <laughs> and the larger the crowd gets, the more temptation there is to be known. Do you know who caused Moses and Aaron big trouble when they're coming to the wilderness? The chiefs of the congregation. You know what? Because they ended up with some men who got prideful and wanted to be known. Well, in our day and time churches, whether it be the preacher or whether it be somebody else in the church, if they want to be known and that pride enters in, it's in for trouble at that point because God doesn't like it in anybody. And so what happens is they want to be known. So they say, we're going to say we gave it all away. We sold this piece of land down here and we're going to say, here's what we sold it for. So they come in and you know what happened to it. Oh, Ananias comes in first and uh, he comes in and says he, they had decided to keep back part of the land. They said, we're going to sell it. We, or we're going to tell we sold it for 20000 but they actually sold it for thirty, and they're gone. And so Ananias comes down and he acts big about it and lays it down and, and you know, here we go. We're giving the whole thing and, what the Lord shows Peter. Uh-uh, they didn't. Peter asked him, he said, he said, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Thou hast not lied to man, but unto God. By the way, in that passage, identifying the Holy Ghost as God. And he said, while it was your own, was it not in your own power? And after you sold it, in other words, you were commanded to give the whole thing. And he said, you're done. So he works. He drops dead. Now you think how tough this is one thing. The early church was tough. They pick him up and carry him out and leave him in church. They did. And there he goes. Well, Sapphira was late for church that day. And she comes in later. And she comes in and she's, you know, wanting everybody to see her. The, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I just had a funny image in my mind that something that happened years ago. But, she comes in and probably strutting like a peacock. She comes in and Peter looks at her and says, let me ask you something, Sister Sapphira. Did you sell that land for such and such? She said, sure did. And he said, Paul bears the thing out your husband are waiting for you. Boom. Out they go. And then in this great verse, says, the Bible says, a great fear fell upon the whole congregation. 
neither durst any man join himself to him. There wasn't a whole lot of new church applications that next week. Right? Whoa, something going on down there. That was that's first century church. So in other words, it wasn't representative of all the people, but they had that kind of hypocrisy going on right there while the apostles were preaching. Okay, you getting getting a picture of this? Now, how about this one? How about uh, how about uh, the Galatian, the Galatian church? They they'll serve for a couple of illustrations. Look in the book of Galatians. Told you I get you in the Bible here. Look in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Now this is a first century church. First century. Look in verse 7. He asked a question to the congregation there. He said, ye did run well. Now in the space of time, this probably around 50, 55 A.D., and that time that church had been birthed, had run well, and already has, has a major problem going. He said, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? So he's dealing with the entire church who's going off course in that amount of time. Isn't that pretty amazing? Then I'll show you another one in Galatians. Look in Galatians chapter 4. Go back uh, one page here. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 15. I'm talking about the early church. Let's take a realistic view. You say, were you saying they were all hypocrites? No, the Bible doesn't say they were. Some very serious people and the Spirit of God was there. But you have to understand they were people. Well, I just want to find me a church where everyone's just serious. Good luck on that one. I'm serious. Well, I just want to go to a church that's pure where they don't let people in that are hypocrites and stuff. It'd be like that old boy had a meeting with me because he was concerned that we didn't have them. Literally, we didn't have a meeting every month to vote people out. Really? Set up a meeting with me. Spend an hour, wasted an hour of my life trying to convince me that we ought to be having a meeting every month to vote people out who aren't living up to the standard. When I asked him, does that include tithing? He got really quiet. Should have added about three more on there to tell you the truth. And uh, anyway, that's my nose is going to the ground again. Get off that. Uh, Galatians 4, verse 15. He says, Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record, Paul writing by the Spirit of God to these people, I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. There's some indication. There's some writings. Paul may have had trouble with his eyes and such. And he said, you would have done anything. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They turned on him because of his truth telling. This is the early church. They were attracted because of the stand. They were the ones that said, stay where you are, preacher. Boy, we're with you. Until he came across them. See? While, while, while he was hitting the other people, they thought they needed to fix. While he was over on this pew, he, they were happy. When he was in that section, they were happy. But when he landed at their seat, they weren't happy no more. And when he had to rebuke or correct or instruct them, especially individually, they got bent out of shape. 
A pastor is not a figurehead. He's not there for decoration. Thank God, I'm sure it would fail that one. He's not there to follow the congregation. He's there to lead it towards God, which means at times saying to you individually or you as a group, you're on the wrong path, let's get straightened out. People like that idea. That's what I want in church until it's their home address you get to. Well, who does, he's not God. Okay, let's take a vote. How many of us realize he is not God? Okay, that's a settled issue now. We can go forward from that. But anytime, anytime somebody makes that statement, you know that they are not wanting to deal with truth and they're not wanting to be honest spiritually. But he's not God. Whoever said he was? Did anybody here join this church thinking that the pastor was God? If so, you really have low expectations in life. It'd be bad, wouldn't it? Thank God. I'm glad that God is God. But that has nothing else to do with it. I mean, you know, <laughs> your boss at work isn't God either. Your mom and dad weren't God. Your husband's not God. Your parents aren't God. We can be glad for all of this. But... Certain people have certain responsibilities and certain people are given certain positions. And that's how God works. There you are. That's how it works. And so that first century church had turned, I put this down, they had turned on their spiritual fathers and their spiritual leaders. Someone had come in and turned them against Paul. Um, there's a fellow, I won't give the dignity of giving his name, plus I've learned something else in this day and time of social media and such. I'll mention something or somebody's name as a warning and you'll never heard of them and then you go research them and start looking at their stuff. So I'm just, I don't give out names anymore. Because it's like I said, be careful, there's garbage over in that can, you dive in to see what it tastes like. That's not the reason to warn. Unless it rears its ugly head in our congregation, I won't name it. If it does rear its ugly head in our congregation, I'll come to you individually and warn you about the danger. But there, there's, there's a fellow in our country, he's literally, literally is, is teaching people through the internet and stuff to go in and disrupt their local churches. Go around and get people together undermine the pastor. And try to bring people into his way of thinking. Teaches people to do it. And that's not hearsay. By the way, can I, can I drop a couple of names of people who have had it happen in their churches? Does, does the name Brother Cox mean anything to you? Does Bob Gray's second mean anything to you? Does Dr. John Jenkins mean anything to you as far as men that you would know would be just going around whining that somebody was messing with their ministry? Well, that's been, the Bible warns about people who do this. They draw away people after themselves. This guy's got the internet to do it with. And foolish enough Christians across the country to follow him. Oh, he's got all this great stuff he's teaching. What does our pastor know about that? And then they get with other people. Well, check this out. And go on this side. And I'll tell you what. Oh, let's pray for our pastor that he'll be enlightened. That's got to smell of sulfur all over Say, have you known of any of our church? Nope, I haven't. So you're going to tell us his name? Nope, I'm not. Why? 
reasons previously cited, as they say in formal company. But you know what they have back here? They have people apparently doing the same thing without the stinking internet. They were just doing it. I mean, somebody, look at what the Bible's teaching you there. Someone came into the Galatian church, it had been a good church, going well, and messed it up. Would it surprise us that the devil wants to get in and mess up churches? Well, why wouldn't he? Spiller and ground the truth. If he can mess it up, he's going to accomplish a lot of what he wants to do. Then, did you know that there's a woman in the New Testament called Jezebel? Look in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I'm glad for the water. I'm thirsty as a cotton ball in a sandstorm up here tonight. Revelation 2. Look in verse 18. You have Thyatira here. By the way, I looked up that word. Do you know what it means? Thyatira. Literally, that's the meaning of it. I thought, well, that's enlightening. Um, <laughs> it's a transliterated word. The only definition is Thyatira. So there it is. Um, verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, which has to do with judgment and judging, by the way. And his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works. Jesus says to that church, I know thy works. And charity. And service. And faith. And thy patience. And thy works. And the last to be more than the first. Mentions works twice. So, church had a lot of things going for it, didn't it? Good church in so many aspects. Notwithstanding. And that's a, I wish you could just preach on that for a while that all the good we do doesn't excuse us to let wrong be here. And uh, you can preach on that on notwithstanding. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. In other words, this woman, she's not even wanting to get right. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her, in other words, judgment's coming on the whole sorry thing, into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am He which searcheth the hearts and the reins. You say, what in the world is that talking about? Well, what it's talking about is that everything that seems to be a fruit of what she's done as as a prophetess there is going to come to nothing. And what ends up happening with this is that she is birthing children spiritually. She's she's calling herself a prophetess. She's teaching. She's got people following her. And he says, I'm going to take the whole sorry thing out. But what was Thyatira's problem? They suffered it to happen. They let her do it. This woman stood up and said, Hey, I'm a prophetess. I'm here. I'm, I'm here to teach you the Bible. And they put up with that. They didn't, they didn't do like old... Uh, uh, oh, what was his name? Um, um, oh, I, just, I just lost his name. Old Nazarene preacher. Um, talked with a little bit of a lisp uh, years years ago. Of course, never heard him. Uh, I, uh, what was his name? It'll come back to me if I quit chasing it. Um, anyway, he... Uh, 
uh, he was a well-known evangelist, and he was preaching somewhere, and he talked kind of like this. I'm not making fun of anybody, just the way he talked. And he's, he's, a woman came up to him and said she, she had a large family and came up and, and called his name, which I can't remember, although I'm sure she did. And she called his name and said, uh, hey, I wanted to let you know God's called me to preach. Now, see, back then, Nazarene Church was straight on that, and they knew women weren't preachers, weren't pastors. I said they knew women weren't preachers, weren't pastors. And uh, now a lot of Baptists don't know that. But uh, he said, dear, he said, well, sister, praise the Lord. He said, God not only called you to preach, but he gave you a congregation already. Go home and preach to them. In other words, your kids. In other words, it's not flying here. Amen. I still remember a letter I got from a woman in this church that was here for a while, been a long while back. And what really bothered me was some of our ladies um, weren't trying to be evil, but just thought because of how she conducted herself that she was some kind of spiritual, spiritually strong thing. She wasn't at all. And I still remember the letter I got where she was writing me a letter. And it was such a condescending letter about, well, I understand you may not be enlightened on this, and I just wish you knew these truths, and la, 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 la. And I'm like, you know, sister, I guess, all day long you could come to me with a question. You could come to me and say, Preacher, hey, have you ever thought about this? And you being a lady wouldn't stop me from saying it all. Say, hey, no, well, let, me, let me hear what you're thinking there with that. Man, anytime you get a woman, go come to her pastor with a condescending attitude, more or less, not really more or less, out blatantly saying, I wish you knew the Bible like I know the Bible. you got trouble on your hand. You know, from that point forward, I, I didn't go to all detail with my wife. I said, there's some, I just want you to understand, there's somebody at church I will not grant an appointment to. She said, that's unusual for you. I said, I will not be in the office with that woman. She goes, why? I said, I got reasons why. She goes, all right. Turned out that was good. But you know why I did that, John? Because I read about this one over here. And that one was the cousin. <laughs> you act that way, there's a reason why you act that way. You say all this went on in the first century church? Yeah. A lot of things went on. You say, man, that's rough. Oh, yeah. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Can you handle this one more thing? They were sinners that Jesus had saved. And they weren't all walking in the Spirit at one time. And at any given time, some of them, their hearts were probably cold towards the Lord. Some of them at any time were probably walking in the flesh. And they were people who needed God very much. I remember a young pastor, he was my age, but young in the pastor, very young in the pastor, and he'd been an assistant pastor in a large church. He had his ministries for which he was responsible in that church. He had had over a thousand people he was responsible for as an assistant pastor. And he called me one day. We'd known each other from Bible college days. And he says, I think, I think the Lord wants me to pastor. I said, are you sure about that? So you're 45 years old and you're just now figuring out you should be a pastor and you've been in the ministry since you were 19, 20 years old? I mean, if you just got saved or something, Yeah. But you've been in the ministry since you were 19 or 20 and you're just now first time thinking you ought to pastor? Hold on now. Could be. You know, I'm not going to limit God on it, but all the men I know that really have pastor in them, they know that a whole long time before. And he goes, oh yeah. And so I said, man. And then he called me. He said, church of about 80 called me. 
He said, that shouldn't be too much trouble. I said, you do understand that what you're getting ready to do is not related to what you were doing. If you think pastoring is just busy or assistant pastoring, you don't have a clue. No, no, it can't be. I said, well, okay. He called me. Less than two months later, <laughs> it was so funny. Brother Phil called his name. Yeah. What in the world is going on? <laughs> I said, you're pastoring. I, 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 I can't believe it. I, I, I can't believe it. I said, do you know what's happening right now to you? He goes, what? I said, do you remember in all your ministries you were involved in, adult Sunday school classes, bus ministry and all that, when you got to those really complicated problems, you would turn around and say, Pastor, I need you to, uh, you need to go talk to the pastor. you remember those? Oh, yeah. I said, guess what? You don't have the option of doing anymore. You turn around, look, ain't nobody there but Jesus, and you're wondering how to get a hold of him. Say, <laughs> so you remember? The pastor led the thing to build the buildings and all that, and you brought all your people and put them under those roofs with those chairs, that air conditioning, and you went home because your shift was done at 6 o'clock, and you may not call once in a while, but you went home and you didn't worry about that anymore. And guess what now? You're trying to figure out how to keep the electricity on and how to keep the doors. He's like, I can't believe it. He called me about a month later. He goes, Rafael, can I talk to you again? I said, sure, man. So what's going on? He said, I think I only have one family that doesn't have a serious need or a serious problem. I said, you have one? Cool. <laughs> Where'd you get that? He was shocked. We shouldn't be shocked. Look around this auditorium for a minute. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And not one of us in here that is everything we ought to be before the Lord. But for all of us, and each of us individually in here, the Lord is everything that we need. And the range of where we all are in walking with God and learning things is a huge range. But our Lord loves us all. And this is a good place for us to grow. And it's a good place for us to learn. This idea that there was some church ever in history that existed that just everybody was completely sold out. See, people get that thinking and then they get so disappointed when that person they looked up to proves that they're human. I'm not talking about somebody going out into gross sin and just totally violating everything. I'm just talking about they're just human. That person that you look up to as a saint of God takes your head off someday. Figuratively speaking. If it's literal, let me know. We'll fix that. Not your head, but we'll take care of them. That person that you think is so godly and that couple that you think, man, they're really just you know, top-notch, and they may be, but you happen to walk by when they didn't know you were near their car. And you heard what they said before they came through the door and said, good morning, brother and sister. And it just devastated you. When that person you cared about and that young person you've had high hopes for seems to go through a time where they're struggling a little, or a little cold, a little indifferent. How about when 
somebody's not exactly following along where you think ought to be. How do we handle that? Well, you got to realize that that first century church was full of people. I told you there were three points, right? The three aren't as long as the first, and I'm glad of that. But you need to hear them because it puts us in the right perspective. I said that there were follies. There are a lot of other things we can talk about. I didn't even, I didn't even touch on the Corinthians. Imagine if we'd gotten to the Corinthians with this. My soul. But thank God there was favor. Let's look at Acts 9.31 and then at some point I'll let you go home. That's sort of like those gaps in prophecy where you're not sure how many years now. <laughs> Acts 9 verse 31. He said, no gap here, preacher. I'm giving you about 10 more minutes. I'm out of here. Acts 9, look at verse 31. And this was after Saul of Tarsus has been so sweetly converted. And uh, he's no longer going in, dragging people out of their churches and out of their homes and taking them away to prison. But look in verse 31. It says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. They'd had that tremendously pressing season and now they had the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Now they're walking in power. Now they're being multiplied. Let me say to you that in the midst of and while all these follies were going on, while there was the, there was the administrative fussing and the bickering between people over who's getting fed, while there were people who were hypocrites and acting like they were giving what they weren't giving and trying to be big shots in the congregation, while there was a woman who was uh, just trying to lead people astray and was actually bringing in evil and ungodly influence with her life, while an entire church of Galatia had, had gone away from running well. People, you say, what? Galatian church. And now it's went off the while all that was going on, while all that was going on, there was still the favor of the Lord and people were seeking God and God's hand was still there. See, you're going to have all of it going on, but you're going to have to decide where you're going to put your eyes and what you're going to focus on and you're going to have to decide that you want what God has. More emphatically, let me say, you're going to have to decide you want Him. And when you do that, you're in good company. Because since the beginning of the Christian church, there have been people who want to serve God. And in every congregation, at all times, there have been people who are not really of the Lord. There have been people who are not walking sincerely. But thank God there are saints of God, saved by God, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who are trying to do the right thing. And, and what a precious thing that is. What a precious thing that is. So there was favor. And we ought to be seeking the favor of God. I think it was even in Sardis, God said there were some who had not stepped aside, not went after the wrong thing. Let's, let's just decide to be people who want the favor of God. You know, even if it's a family member that's not seeking the Lord or not wanting to walk with the Lord, don't you go, it's not your job to badger them and ha harass them. You just seek God. You be a conduit through which He can work. If you ladies have a husband who's not wanting to serve the Lord, the Bible says, Completely commands you. You're not supposed to go after them with your words. You'll drive them. Don't do that. You, you, you live for the Lord and you love them. That's what you're supposed to do. You'll win that way. That's what the Bible says. 
You know somebody turned back on, well, you just keep serving God. You know somebody who's abandoned every biblical standard they've ever had and walking as a worldly where they used to try to be circumspect before God. Don't you get discouraged over that? You just keep on serving God. Just keep on serving God. You're going to have a tear. You're going to shed a tear. It's going to hurt your heart, but do the right thing. Seek God. Seek His favor. And there was favor with that early church. I'm talking about all this other stuff was going on. <laughs> a primitive Baptist church I knew years and years ago, one of the members of it, he and his wife were having a lot of trouble. They were, they were separated at the time. They were not divorced at the time, but they were separated. And this man who was part of a, if you don't know, a primitive Baptist church, hard shell, five-point Calvinist church, um, they, he was very upset at the congregation, the man who was the pastor, the man who was the pastor at that time was also happened to be my barber. This was over in Western Ohio. And, and the barber told me this, and the, the fellow in question confirmed it. The man who was having trouble with his wife, he said, I don't think our church should take the Lord's Supper. I don't think we should do any of this stuff because my wife and I are not getting along well. I said, what in the world are you talking about? Well, we're part of the body. We're having trouble, so everything should just stop. Well, at least there's no self-centeredness and that sort of thing. <laughs> no, there's still favor. And I'll tell you what, any number of people can walk in and be a part of a church who just, sadly or not, for whatever reason, whether it's something they've chosen or something they've been overcome with, but they're just not, and by any means, where they should be. That doesn't mean others can't have the favor of the Lord on them. Then, let me say to you, there was fruit. You say, what was the fruit? Thousands were saved. You know, thousands got saved after this thing with the meals. And the whole meals on wheels thing got dang there. You know, thousands got saved. We're still getting saved in that church. Ran nice and fire over. Thousands were still getting saved. The gospel still went out. God was still calling people into the ministry. Do you know new churches were founded? And there's never been a church that's birthed another church that was a perfect church. Nobody here, myself included, would dare to raise their hand and say that our, our mothers were perfect people. Some of you in here have had close relations. Some of you did not have close relations. Some of you, that the thought of what a mother ought to be is a painful thing to you because of that. And others of you, it's a cherished memory. But regardless of how cherished memory it is, no one with a lick of sense would raise their hand and say, my mom was a perfect mom. If I, if I wanted to and I don't, and if I and needed to and I don't need to, I could tell you flaws that my mama had. But I don't talk about my brother and sister that way. <laughs> my sister listens to these. Um, <laughs> Someone said sorry, Sandra. There you <laughs> With as long as mom was sick in a severe situation she dealt with, do you think there was ever times when we saw a little bit of a rough side? That's remarkably little. Do you think there was ever time when her temper was short? My sister would catch her praying under her breath. She would hear my mom praying, Lord, don't let me get me. Lord, don't let me get me. She did not want to mistreat people. 
I didn't have a I didn't have perfect mom. You all didn't even. Can I tell you something? When a church births other churches, in other words, they help that other church get started, that other congregation and support, it's not a perfect home. It doesn't take a perfect church to do that. So I says, well, we have to get everything together here before we can help somewhere else. Don't know your Bible. Don't have a clue what you're talking about. Because we don't. We've got to be seeking God. New church is founded. How about lives change? How about this for a list of lives? How about Lydia? Oh, Lydia. Man, God got a hold of her, didn't, she? didn't he? How about the jailkeeper? He got saved. Snuck him out. Got baptized. Got his family baptized. Had to put him back in jail. Man, something happened to him that he never lost. Amen? Um, D.L. Moody preached a message once entitled, The Day the Jailkeeper Got Caught. And there was a man who had been a notorious criminal. This is a true story. Been a notorious criminal. He was passing through a little town in New England. And he saw the title of that sermon. It was published in the newspaper. And when he saw that, this guy had been thrown in jail several times and he thought that somebody had got something on the magistrate there in that town and he didn't have trouble. So he picked it up, eager to find out, oh man, somebody got him. You know, this guy didn't end up in jail. It, is, it actually happened. And he was reading it. And... Uh, about nine times in that sermon, Moody had said, whosoever shall believe on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that fellow got saved, got his life turned around, and was a useful Christian, held a good position in church, and was useful in ministering up till the time of his death. Did you know why he picked up that paper? He thought somebody had busted the judge, man. He was happy to read about it. Isn't that, so? Isn't that great? But here he is, the jailkeeper. How about John Mark? You read about him, you know? Mark and him and him, you know, turning back and all that. But then later on, God uses him and he even ends up penning part of the New Testament. How about that? Good stuff going on there. How about Paul? You know, wow, what a convert. How about Onesimus? You ever read about him in the book of Philemon? Philemon, if you're from the wrong part of Ohio, Philemon. You ever read about him? What was he? Man, he was a crooked. He was a crooked employee who had stole from his employer. But what happened? He got right. How about Sergius Paulus, the deputy of that country? He gets saved. How about, how about Cornelius? How about a whole bunch of people who got saved even though there was problems, even though there were people, even though there was weaknesses? Why? Because God was working with those people there. How about these people? Do you ever read about what the disciples themselves, what they did at times? how they reacted, what their conversations were about, how they had to get rebuked. At one point they went in and the people weren't really paying attention to Jesus and they looked around literally and asked Jesus, said, you want to call down for fire from heaven and burn them up? Their reaction to a group of people who weren't paying attention to Jesus like they wanted to the Samaritans was this, hey, let's call down fire, let's burn them! We used to have these yahoos when I was in Bible college. I mean, you get enough college students in one room. It's just, you know, it's the accumulation of just dumb is just startling. <laughs> and they'd be sitting there and someone would have to rebuke or correct somebody from the pulpit. This would be a chapel. We had, you know, 14, 1,500 people in our chapel service. And they correct them. And all these guys would go, burn them! They did that there too. And then they'd go, burn them! Rip their face off! That's what they do. The Pharisee group. Uh, yeah, and here, the preacher would be getting on somebody, hey, wake up over here. This dude over here would wake up and put drool. Boom! 
not an exaggeration. Um, <laughs> you say, what were those people like? They were like these people were often like. But you know what it was said when Jesus, what, with what Jesus did with them? Oh, well, that group I told you about, Jesus turned around and said, you know not what spirit you have. The Son of Man came not to destroy lives, but to save lives. He turned right around to him and said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. Do you know what the next statement he said was? Let's go to the next village. <laughs> he did the same group. You don't even know what you're doing. All right, we got another village to reach. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, jerk, get off my team. He rebuked what needed rebuked and then said, okay, we got work to do. Are you getting it? He rebuked what needed rebuked. I am glad. Hey, your preacher tonight's glad. I'm glad God didn't put me on the shelf first time I really messed up. Because I would have went from the altar to the shelf. <laughs> I'm glad God's gracious. And He changed some lives. An honest look at first century. And by the way, those men I just described doing all this stuff, it was to be said of them they had turned the world upside down. Isn't that something? An honest look at first century Christian reveals people from a wide range of backgrounds and abilities. Some continued on faithful. Some turned back. Others hindered the work. They dealt with a world that was ignorant of and oftentimes hostile to the gospel. They had to deal with the realities of day-by-day -day living. But as a people, they were being perfected by the Spirit of God and walking in the knowledge and light that they had. And they were used by a mighty God in spite of their own weakness to do eternal good. This is the heritage we cherish. And this can and should be the present in which we live. An honest look at first century Christians makes us do this. Wow. Everything they were and everything good that they became was because of Jesus Christ. And then it can make us look and say, you know what? The Lord could do that with us. We don't have to be an apostle. We don't have to be well known. But we can serve God and have His power on us. Let me pray with you tonight. All right, Father, thank You so much for Your people. Thank you for the truth of your word. Help us take it to heart. I want to take this to heart in serving you as a Christian man. And Lord, I want to as a servant of this church, as a pastor, and, uh, and getting to serve these people for you. And Lord, I pray that your people will want to take this to heart, that you may be served well. Help us not to be distracted. Help us not to be a distraction. And Lord, help us to be dedicated to you, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Why don't you come tonight? That would be something you bring to the altar. How about yourself? Bring yourself to the altar. And here I am, Lord. And I want to be used. God can use you. Oh, I'm not where I ought to be. Well, get headed that direction. Why don't you start? So I'm going to come to the altar. Why don't you join them as the music plays tonight?